You're listening to Art Root Radio, and I'm your host, artist Michelle Lockery. Today in the studio, I am honored to have the guest, Ryan Boyko. Ryan is a filmmaker, Ryan is an actor, Ryan is an artist, and Ryan is an advocate for human rights. Using the power of storytelling through film, Ryan has shed a light on the past injustices that happened in Canada to the Austria European people, but today he is now. I would say a sunflower champion in shedding a light on the issues of the current crisis in Ukraine. I have been trying to get Ryan in the studio for a while and he's extremely busy. He's planning a feature film. He's he's just a really busy guy. And um, so let's spend some time, have a coffee and be part of this very important conversation. Hey, Ryan, welcome in the studio. Hey, thanks for having me. So how are you doing? I'm good. It, it, it's just interesting that we've flipped the script because the last time you and I really did any work together, I was asking you all of the questions. So this is uh, this is going to be fun. Well, and it was the most profound thing for me because we went to my sister's house. You were doing your very important film work, which was just incredible. And we'll tell everybody at the end of the podcast about all that. And of course, I want Thank your you. voice on that. But yeah, like who knew? that you and I would be having a conversation about a war in Ukraine right now. It's uh, mind boggling that it's, that it's happening. Um, you know, I, I think for years we saw that it was progressing. Uh, I don't think anybody thought that it would quite go this way, but uh, it has. So it changes, changes things a little. Yeah, I know I've been talking to my mom and just, you know, with all of the work that both you and I do for, you know, advocacy to learn more about internment and all of that, my mom is just so shocked by it all. Yeah, um, it, I think it was shocking to everybody. We we were working on what I hope will be the first official co-production between Canada and Ukraine. Um, we were putting together our telefilm application we had everything submitted on Monday, February 21st. I asked the question of everybody and they're, they're all, uh, filmmakers in Odessa. And so it's, so it's, uh, Southeast. It's very close to Mariupol where, uh, we've all seen on the news. It's been bombed really hard, hit really hard. A lot of civilians have been killed. And I asked the question on February 21st as we saw um the tanks coming up to the borders do we think it's going to get worse or is this just a scare tactic and nobody that was in ukraine believed that the russians were coming or that it would be as devastating as it was and uh it, you know that was just 4 days before or 3 days before the war started. Uh, it was crazy. It's it's such important work that you're doing though too, because as I'm sitting here, same for me, right? Doing this sunflower project, trying to, you know, tell the stories of the past. The war happens and the sunflower has become this I mean, this global symbol and it's like almost you don't even know what to say about it because it feels a little bit premonition like. 
Yeah, absolutely. You were totally ahead of the game. And I, I thought that very same thing. Um, you know, there, there are people that I know, friends of mine who are making t-shirts with, you know, put some sunflower seeds in your pockets. And I, all I could think about was the, the number of times you've talked to me about painting a satellite into a sunflower and, and, um, sending sunflowers all across the country. And, and I, I thought of you. Uh, immediately when I heard that story and then it's just been blowing up and, and people have been talking about sunflowers and show, sharing the sunflower and creating art with sunflowers. It, it's pretty incredible. Well, it's interesting to me because I believe that's why we met and that's why I've been so keep pushing you. And I know you're really busy with all the important stuff you're doing is that, you know, you and I know that um, our, you know, the Ukrainian people, were brought here and human rights were an issue for sure. And all those people built the infrastructure of Canada in the highways and parks, Canada in a slave labor type situation, right? As we know, isn't it interesting now we're bringing people here again. We can only hope and advocate for people like, you know, to lose the fear and welcome and do better that we did a hundred years ago. But the sunflower is actually representing the economy. Like for me, it's like, Let's get people creating. Let's get people here. Let's get them in jobs. And let's, you know, pay tribute to the past while we do better in the future by getting jobs and building the economy of Canada as well. I mean, that's important as well as we promote let's getting, you know, people healthy and home and healed. So I think that's the power that is just overwhelming to me. It's like overwhelming. I'm like, let's get sunflowers. Let's get artists from Ukraine here. Let's get children painting. Let's help them heal. And let's work to a global peace in some, I guess maybe Ryan, I'm, you and I are both creative souls. We can only hope, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I've spoken to a lot of people who are currently looking to come to Canada and take advantage of our open borders for Ukrainian refugees, at least for the next couple of years. And, uh, and everybody, the first thing that they say is, where can I get a job? How can I get a job? Like these aren't people that are looking for charity. They're like, how can, how can I get there and support myself? And I think that's what, uh, the people who came a hundred years ago were in that same boat. They were, they were coming, they were looking for work. They were trying to make a go of it and they were taken advantage of. And now it's, it's up to those of us who are members of the Ukrainian Canadian community to ensure that Canadians are looking out for those Ukrainians who are coming here and who are, you know, ripe for the picking for those people who might want to take advantage of them. And it's up to us to ensure that they have the best experience and the best leg up uh, that they possibly can. I, I so agree. I feel this responsibility and all I can see is a trail of sunflowers, of beautiful art of all kind, film, sculpture, paintings. I don't care what they are. I mean, it's part of the infrastructure along our highways. You know, Route 66 happened because after the war um, in the United States, the economy crashed and they had an, an artist project where the federal government put tons of money in, in order to create jobs. We're partnered with Route 66. And I think it's phenomenal that that's where we're at. And I'm working really hard to create the Sunflower Fund that I can bring a whole bunch of people that have that creative brain to understand that the arts are the infrastructure and that fund can support the people by paying tribute to the past 
and us all doing better. So Ryan, I, I totally see you making a film about that. Well, we're working on multiple films right now, um, documentaries on what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in Canada, um, what's the crossover. I don't know if we're going to have one film, two films, three films. I don't know. We're just collecting footage. Um, we sent cameras to Ukraine. There's a call for cameras. It's one of those, it's one of those weapons. Uh, and I like the word weapon. Uh, it's not my word. Oleksandr Kristolovich, who was the director of photography for both the camps web series and for that never happened. He is one of the top cinematographers in Ukraine. He is in Ukraine. Fortunately, his entire family was able to get out of Ukraine, um, and but he has to stay there because it's mandated. So he's fighting the war uh, with his lens, with the camera, and his biggest request for me was, how can I get cameras here? So I managed to get three cameras and sent those to Ukraine weeks ago, and he just received them, and uh, he's now able to fight using his his art his artistic merit and his artistic ability um in order to help us tell the story and then the other concern is what happens if internet goes down what happens if the footage can't get out of the country so we've already put together a um a site where he can upload the footage in real time and get it to Canada it's his footage it's his story but there are multiple filmmakers there still looking for cameras. So if anybody has cameras sitting around that they once used, uh, we're, we're looking for it. They don't need to be the highest end. I mean, of course, the, the better that they are, the better the quality of the footage, but we're trying to put them into the hands of top filmmakers who don't have their own equipment. That is so, I'm going to share that because we're, we're going to donate all of the first group of sunflowers that we created and try to raise money. And that would be, that's what I'm really passionate about is that's a great weapon. I think that is a good word. I mean, even cell phones, like, I mean, some of the high end cell phones, the newer ones take pretty good film. Yeah, they, they do. And that's what he's been using up to now. Um, and I even sent him an older camera that, that requires tape to use. And, uh, the the benefit although it's not as good of a camera as the as the cell phones are the benefit is it's got the weight behind it so that he can actually use it like the camera is meant to be used like he doesn't have a gimbal or something for for the iPhone in order for that to to do what he needs it to do um so you know there's some shaky footage and and it's not as good as we might like it in order to to showcase it but the point is the story and capturing the story from from the point of view of people who are on the ground telling their stories um ukrainians telling ukrainian stories about what's happening and what their message of the most important things are for us as, as a north american audience and so he's really thinking about it through that lens uh, and like i said we've got multiple people who are who are there looking for cameras um just because they don't They've, they've never had a need to own their own equipment. And so we've got, we've got three people who now have cameras um, 
but there are so many more that are, are continuing to ask for how can we get cameras and it's not the kind of uh thing that a lot of people are thinking about like people aren't people are thinking about body armor they're thinking about knee pads they're thinking about gloves they're thinking about ways to to send aid food clothing um but there are there are filmmakers there who just want cameras. Well, I've got a camera that I can definitely donate, and I'm going to do a call out. And I'm, I sit on the Carfax BC, so that group was looking at how to help. So I believe that that's something we could really help you with, Ryan. Because I mean, again, I'm sitting here thinking. I mean, how much time have we all looked at old footage and said how important that is? And here we are living it right now. Yeah, 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 and we're we're living it. And like I said, there there are people all over the country who. Uh, are some of the best in the world at what they do, just looking for gear so they can fight the war in the way that they can. The strength, I was reading some sites um, when it all first went down. You know, I have five beautiful grandchildren and it just, you know, there was my soul just, and I thought, and I read this article that said the power of the millennials with with cameras, with internet, with the knowledge and how fast that that information can get transferred is such a tool in in fighting this. Like if you think yeah. about it, right? Like I mean, I'm talking to an artist right now whose house was bombed out, and her and her three children, one who has special needs, she trying to get somewhere, and she has just every day, you know, sent a picture, updated everybody, and I just keep sharing it because you know, and I know Canadians, we we all want to help, but you have to keep it. In your brain, every morning you got to wake up and realize as you pour your coffee that this is still happening, people. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a soundbite on the news. It's not something that just goes away because we don't think about it or because we don't want to watch the news or we would rather have alternative sources. There's a lot of people that are ignoring what's happening because they don't believe in in the mainstream media. And I think that's really unfortunate um, because there's a lot that's happening that people should be aware of. Yeah, and I think, I mean, and I think when you sit back and you look at history, I can hear conversations um, of my own arrogance when I was young during, you know, with what Hitler did. Well, why didn't anybody stop? Why weren't people standing up? How come it happened? And here we are. And I, I am so passionate about every day trying to have a voice. What can we do? Because right now we need to act. Yeah. We do need to act. And, and fortunately, some people are acting. Um, we're acting in the ways that, that we can. Um, but I feel like there are there's a lot more that can be done, uh, both individually and through government organizations, world organizations. And I think that, that um, people aren't stepping up enough. And, and we should because it's not just Ukraine's war. It's, it's everybody's war. And you know, I think about um, a good friend of mine who's also an artist, and he's been working with me on a couple of projects, and he grew up in Bosnia during the war. And I've never really asked him about it or, or discussed it with him until this war broke out. And, uh, and you know, it seemed so far away, and that was during our lifetime that this is a big major war the difference was we didn't have social media and we didn't have daily coverage of it um whereas here we've got social media and because of that social media uh outlets are forced to cover it daily yeah 
it's it's an it's an interesting thing because you think with the the knowledge we do have of, of the past that it would be I, I guess maybe people really are still in shock. I, I don't know because that same thing I'm pushing back to the government. You know, if you have funds for something, let those funds go here, it will it will trickle back because it is our war. Like, you know, I know we have to move ahead and there's all this stuff, but I go, this is our priority. It's a global war. Fifty two kilometers up north Russia is from us. Like I go, Yeah. They're not that far away, people. That's right. It's perfect. That's right. I think I think a lot of people forget, especially in Canada, that we share a border with Russia. My husband works up north, right? Rick works up north in a mine up there, and they talk about it daily. They're like, "What's the security?" Like he's up in the Yukon, and they're like, "You know, this is this is the reality up there." And you know, it, it is definitely shocking. And I'm just so proud to know you because I know the work you're doing, and a lot of people might not understand the power of film. But it is imperative. I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I I think that people don't believe even their own eyes sometimes, and um, I always try and put an unbiased slant on whatever it is that I'm working on. Um, and I don't, as I said, this isn't really my story to tell, but there are snippets of this story that are mine to tell. And I want to make sure that, that we tell it in the, in the most unbiased way possible so that, you know, the, the idea behind good art, uh, as far as theater, as far as film goes, is you shouldn't leave the theater going, that was good. You should leave the theater and start having a conversation. It should evoke something. It should make you want to do something, want to care about something, want to be involved in some way, or it should make you have a conversation, um, you know, for example, with with the documentary that never happened. Uh, I wanted people to leave having some people say, yeah, I'm totally you know, for what the government did. They were within their rights. Uh, and I want to be able to to give that side of the story, whereas you know the 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 main people who have been telling this story over the years want to justify or or talk about how how unjust it was and and they want to justify that position of it being so wrong uh and so for me it it's like i don't believe that you can tell the the side of it being so wrong if you're not exposing this the the side that's for it and so i've already started to try and get interviews with uh people in Russia who believe that this is false and to, to hear their opinions, their opinions of why they think it's false. Um, and then if they think it's false, well, what would you feel if, for example, this was real? What would your opinion be then? Because we're not hearing that. Um, you know, and, and I think it's important. And I think we would have a very different conversation if you just asked, what if it was real? I'm not going to argue with your opinion that it's fake. There's a lot of money that has gone into creating that opinion that it's fake. But what if it was real? How would you feel? You know, and that and that's it. And so for me, it's it's simply getting somebody on the ground who uh, is willing and able to go out with their camera and ask those questions, because that in itself is is heroic. Because we don't know that people are going to be able to uh, to do that, or going to be willing to do that. And the the person or persons who do it 
um, they're asking the right questions and it's important, but it could be deadly. I think that's what a lot of people I don't think can actually understand is to have a voice and for someone to stand up against their country in Russia can be, you know, the end of their life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Yeah. yeah, like freedom, like we're so entitled in Canada, you know, that you just worry. And it's interesting. We had our first sunflower event and I'm working with a really powerful group of people one of which is a opera singer named Melina Shine. And we did a kind of was just throw it together. We had done the project of the sunflowers and then Melina had came up, come up with this idea to do this musical, right? And just to try to build everybody up. It was absolutely profound. She started to sing with her troupe and they did the resistance song. And there was a young man standing there talking about trying to find, I can't even talk about it, I'll cry, his piece of the sky. And it was like the whole musical just was like she sang songs with, you know, Age of Aquarius and how do you find joy in times like this? Ryan, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. People were sobbing. Mm -hmm. And it was like, honestly, um, the 60s, it felt the artists are going to be the protesters. And it was just crazy. And I don't know if it was because of COVID there hadn't been any events, but honestly, I, I have video, there wasn't a dry eye, but not just the tears, people were sobbing. That's yeah. power. And that's the power that I think as artists, we are responsible to use. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, th- I think that that's it. Um, it is a responsibility. Like uh, I've had a lot of people ask me why, why I'm bothering to do the things I'm doing um, for Ukraine right now. And not only do they not necessarily recognize that I've been working to create a bridge between Canada and Ukraine for the last, you know, seven or eight years, but I've got friends there. And so, so these kinds of things are, are part of it, but there, there are plenty of people who have friends there that, that aren't doing the same kinds of things that I'm doing. But as a, an artist, I feel I've got a responsibility. If, if I can't, if I can't tell it, if I can't show it, who will? Um, and then even if there are people like the Sean Penns of the world who are, who are championing this, how do I know, um, what kind of story he's going to tell? How do I know that he's going to tell a story that is that is authentic and true to the Ukrainian voice as a non-Ukrainian trying to tell the story? He's using his celebrity, and I, I think good for him. Awesome. Uh, please do. But, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I think there's going to be you know, potentially four or five different documentaries on this subject. And I don't think that it's a subject that can be oversaturated. Uh, because like, if you think about the World War I documentaries, the World War II documentaries, the stuff that has come out of that period in history, people will watch it. So it doesn't matter if there's already one documentary by, by a famous uh, filmmaker. There are multiple stories here. There are, there are as many stories as there are people. And we need to tell those stories as well as possible and as authentic as possible to the people who are living those experiences, um, as well as what are the experiences of the people in Canada, the people like you and I who are having conversations on on a podcast in order to 
try and do something. Um, it, it's important that we do something. And there are many stories that need to be told just within Canada. What's the resettlement look like? What are people doing to raise raise money and funds? Uh, I was involved. I was involved with a. Uh, uh, Ukrainian dance troupe out of Calgary, and we were working on an internment dance piece. And the idea is to to have the youth who are dancing learning about internment, and then what does internment mean to them? Well, since the war broke out, that was originally shelved, but now there are so many other affected communities. Um, from the First World War internment who are reaching out and saying, how can we be a part of this? And it's now even more authentic than it would have been had they had we just done it the original way. And now we're reaching out to um, ballet schools to have people play the guards who are not a members of either of those affect any of the affected communities so that they can dance and create their own story of what does it mean to be a guard in this time. And then there's this whole uh, event that's going to be shown. And because we're going to be filming it anyway, uh, I was speaking with Alexander yesterday and we're going to stream it to Ukraine and film it from that side as well what what's it like for people who are going through a war to see their culture represented in order to support what they're going through i just love that so that, yeah and that's the same here like melina she wants to do the sunflower story theater production so that's yeah. an opera so she's working on that and it's and people might and maybe this is the education side of the arts, Ryan, is that the arts in so many minds is still looked at as the decoration you stick above your couch, right? When it is actually the political storytelling of every time. Well, that's why like, I'm, I'm shocked at the number of people who are shocked that Zelensky is a good leader in wartime. Um, he, he's, he, he's an artist. He's an actor. He understands how to convey a message in a clear, clean, concise way. That's what we are trained to do. That's what actors are trained to do. Um, we, we are not trained necessarily to entertain. We are trained to provide a clear, concise message that will evoke emotion in the audience that receives it. So, of course, a good politician, Ronald Reagan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Vladimir Zelensky. These are these are people that are trained to evoke and they can do it really, really well. And there's strength of being a warrior. And I think that's the other part for me. And you, you nailed it. It's there's entertainment. And in times of peace, arts can be looked at as entertainment. We still tell the times, but in time of war, we are the journalists. Yes. There's another side that I really think is powerful. It's interesting. I read some stuff that sunflowers are the eyes of the universe. And then, you know, the golden ratio and the spiral. But that what it's long time ago, I guess, ancient was that each sunflower created an eye. And as you were talking about the different lenses, I'm going, yeah, because in a kaleidoscope, you have to have all those lenses. And in the middle is the truth. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, you go yeah. in, you, you can talk about reconciliation because in my work, for 30 years, I worked with Indigenous youth, and I would always tell the story, don't judge me. I know you're going to look at me and, you know, and 
talk about racism, there was all this healing. You see me as this white person, but I'm not. We are all indigenous to this planet. Like we are, that's why I always call it indigenous blue. So right now, the Ukrainian people are living something that our indigenous people can understand. And when you can see there's this healing, and I just had a conversation with a student of mine. He had contacted me because one of my students had just passed away. It was just heartbreaking. And then he had never seen the video that I had created and he watched it to see, you know, photos of his friend that had died. He goes, oh my God, I had no idea. We broke so many things. He goes, I now work with kids in social services. He goes, Michelle. And I went, that's reconciliation, is standing in the other person's shoe and see, we are all human. We are just humans that aren't always very kind. Yep. You know, and there's a power to that, I believe. And I hope that maybe the globe can look. And, you know, Andrea always said it well. Um, everybody has a story that'll break your heart. Right? We all have a yep, story. It's very true. It's very true, hey? Very true. Very true. So that's all we can maybe hope. Do you see hope? Like when you, as a filmmaker and an artist, where's your crack of light that you see through all this? Through all of this, um, I I haven't seen a crack of light until the days when I speak with Alexander, who's there. And he is himself. He is jovial. He is happy to have the conversation. Um, his English gets better every time I talk to him. My Ukrainian's not getting any better. So it's, it's, uh, it's just great. Like he has such a spark of life and humanity and he's witnessing things that no one should ever have to witness. And so, so when I see him and I speak with him and we have conversations about the future and the future projects that we've been working on and the current project that we have that had thrust upon us, this is not something that any of us planned to do. No one wanted to make a documentary about a war in Ukraine. Um, but, but we're, we're, we're doing what we can, which is at this point collecting footage. Do we know what the documentary is going to be? No. Do we know how many parts of a documentary it's going to be? No. Do we know uh, who our target audience is? No. Like all of the stuff that you're supposed to do uh, before you make a documentary, we haven't done. But when I talk with him, I I have a lot of hope. I, I see a future. I see a future without war. I I. I don't even think about the war when I'm talking with him. It's, it's how do we tell the story? It, it, be, it, it takes away the pressure of it being a war and the horrors of it being a war and it becoming, how do we tell the story? Because this is a story and it's a story that everybody needs to know. My crack of hope is that Lily, who I follow, um, good and bad times she always has a, a photo of her children doing art and a photo of a flower if she can find one and to me my glimmer of hope is that one day we will all wear a sunflower beside our poppy to remember and not to have to be watching it happen and so for me i hope that that's something that can happen that we all you know in flower power in a better world, that this is shifting because I can see the shift. I can see people that maybe were not communicating or understanding, just doing better, are coming together in a 
like look at the power of you know the arts and film and just people actually saying hey you know we've got to come together and I think after COVID this is where I can sort of see something changing the world is definitely cracked yeah yeah it is and I, I love that idea of the of the sunflower beside the poppy, whether we do it at the same time of year or another time of year. Like it's, uh, I, I just, I love that image. Yeah. And I think that's why it's really important. I got to keep pushing the sunflower fund. Rick's, my husband, Rick, his grandfather, um, he also was in the camps <laughs> and he was buried in Coal Mountain in the early 1900s in the coal mine. He, as he got older, created the Czech Benevolent Fund. And what he was part of was making every community started it in Fernie because the people were starving. They were here, same issue, right? Same concerns. And it, it sort of became a franchise and it went across Canada that every community had the Czech benevolent fund. So I believe a sunflower fund where if we could bring a bunch of people together under one fund, we have a commission and we can help in a creative manner that's never happened before. Yes, we can build infrastructure and yes, there's roads and cities and we need homes, we need houses, but it has to trickle through the people in a respectful human rights way that brings us together like the sunflower. That's my dream, Ryan, is that people can come to that fund for their creative way of welcoming and rebuilding this world. I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's important, right? And how we can, you know, you and I know how hard it is to get funding for films and theater productions and art and murals. Yet right now we're sitting that it probably is the most important historical thing we could do. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like that's, that's, that takes me back to the whole idea of getting cameras to Ukraine right now. Um, it's a small effort uh, by a couple of people. And yet the, the need for it seems to be overlooked and it, people are going, well, you don't need cameras. We've got news crews there. Well, you know, one of the, one of the concerns with having news crews is, and relying on news crews is in order for Ukrainians to tell their story of what's happening, they have to then license footage back and they don't have a guarantee that they're going to have the footage that they want to tell the story that they want. They're going to have some type of edited version and not necessarily have access to the raw footage that they're shooting. Um, and that's where this came from is can I have access to that footage? And the answer being, well, it's got to go through corporate and you will only be able to get the footage that is aired, not the footage that we take. Because they take liberties with, you know, something is not, it's not okay to air this specific piece of footage. And that's when the call came out to me to try and help get, get cameras to Ukraine. Well, I want to help you do that because, again, we're starting these fundraisers and it's like, where best can we take and put the money? Because the other thing is both you and I know content is king and queen because that is also economy. And when you take the content away from an artist, you're also stopping that economy in the streams it needs to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I guess that's the reason why, you know, one camera is good. Two cameras is better. Three cameras is even better. But then where are those cameras? What about the fact that there are, there is a network of over a hundred cameras? Uh, filmmakers in Ukraine right now 
that don't have cameras. We've got three to them. So how best can we support you, Ryan, is with cameras and dollars. So if we can raise some money, which we're pushing right now with a whole, like I think we have 200 artists here, and we could do a call out. So how do we get those cameras to you? I can just gather them, ship them off, because I can. I have support. So, easiest way. Um, so with the first send, I learned some stuff. So there's there's a company called Meast, M-E-E-S-T. And they are uh, kind of all across Canada, and they send packages to Ukraine. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if all of them are doing this, but certainly Meast in Toronto um, is doing two small packages per day that can be shipped to an individual. So what I did with the big camera that I sent, uh, along with the two smaller cameras, now smaller is going to be easier because of shipping, um, rather than having the big cinema cameras. But if we've got small, um, you know, DSLR cameras, that kind of thing, they can be, they can be packed up pretty tightly, pretty neatly. And, fall within that regulation where Meast is sending them. And we just had it shipped from Canada to Meast's location in Ukraine. So they didn't have to worry about, about delivery, about anything like that. And we were able, we were able to send them on that, uh, sending for free package. Now we did have to pay for them because it was, they were too big, but I managed to get the cameras there, the three cameras for like 150 bucks. And, um, when I talked to some of the other organizations that were shipping, we were looking at $10,000, $11,000 to send those three cameras. So Meast is the way to go. Um, every, every place across the country has them. And I think if we can just send them to to Meast directly and then have them addressed to uh, either Oleksandr or one of the other uh, filmmakers in Ukraine, in Lviv or in Kiev, or depending on wh- where the packages are going, they can then have them picked up by somebody who will ensure that they get into the hands of the people that we intend them to get to. Well, then that's what I'm going to do because I'm going to do a shout out to my community and I challenge everybody who's listening um, as we're growing our audience to do the same thing. It might be a unique, unique way. You might not have extra cash, but, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about what's the old cameras that are in my drawer that are not even that old, you know, because us camera freaks, we keep buying new ones, right? Right. Absolutely. And I mean, I know people want top dollar for for their gear uh, i i get it i totally get it um and you know so for me it was how can i help so first i helped with money but then i then i received the the request from alexander and i said okay well what can i do so then i started looking to to help that way um and then i was like wait a minute i've i've got a camera that's sitting here that i i I mean, it's a super high quality camera with very low hours, but I haven't really used it that much. So, and I, I don't see myself using it anytime soon. And how awful would it be for me if I sent it and it never came back? And the answer was not that awful. So, so yeah, so I sent it. I love it. And I think that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to challenge my friends. I'm thinking my daughter, my son, I know people who have cameras. Like I know my son has a whole 
he was like, what am I going to do with all this? This is, I think, a really tangible way to understand how you need to help. That not everybody has access, you know, to, you know, really, Ryan, hey, where's my extra camera? Like, what an an entitled thing to say, right? (laughs) Right, right, yeah. And I mean, you know, so... One of the things that I made sure with the cameras that I sent, uh, some people just gave me cameras, which was great. But then I had to go and get extra batteries, media, um, storage, just to make sure that they were set up, ready to go, and uh, as well as international adapters for the plugs. Uh, I wanted to make sure that when they got there, they didn't have to do anything. They had everything that they needed, and all they had to do is go out and film. That's really important. And then the other important part is that it is definitely just on storage cards. So it's very safe. So it's not yeah. on the wild. It's, it's very safe. And um, that's an important, really important thing to also say. That's why that media needs to be protected. Right. You know, Ryan, and then I'll let you go. When I was painting the war mural in Vernon, I met a gentleman. I fell in love with a photo and the photo was called the Canadian face of war. And it was in um, a book, and it was for the Korean War book, and I fell in love and I painted it downtown Vernon. This giant young man who had just lost his friend, his friend had just died, and he was leaning against the wall. And I painted it. Didn't ever think in my wildest dreams I would meet Paul, the photographer who took the picture. Oh, wow. Yeah, he came to the site. He was so, I think he was in his 90s at the time, had this long beard, and he brought his photos and his old camera. And it was his job to be the photographer during the Korean War. And, you know, the poignancy of watching, and he was telling me about war photos. Look at the hands of the children. Look at the shoes. Look at everything you see, and it tells a story. That's probably the biggest passion I have about heritage murals, even though I'm always getting kind of slammed of why I painted war murals. Why I painted war murals is to hope that it would never happen again. Right. And here's you and I, you know, talking about sending a photograph, a piece of weaponry to Ukraine. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about about that hope that it would never happen again, as you know, at the end of that never happened, I have the quote from George Santayana at The Reason of Life, uh, which was in 1908, which means that it was a contemporary quote that the governments and people of the time would have known and would have been aware of. And that is those who cannot remember their past are condemned to repeat it. And I was at a screening and we had a uh, historian in the audience who said, you know, I really liked the film until he put that quote up because, you know, history cannot repeat. History doesn't repeat itself. And the same people are never in the same places at the same time. So it's it's just dumb. And he kept going on and on and on. And I didn't have a rebuttal for this. And then um, several months later, I met academic Timothy Snyder in Ukraine, and we were at the same conference. And I mentioned this quote to to Mr. Snyder. And he said, uh, yeah, some historians are like that. But if it ever comes up again, and somebody wants to argue that history doesn't repeat itself, you can simply say, yeah, you're right. History can never repeat itself, but history is fraught with patterns, and patterns do repeat. And that's what we're seeing right now is a repeating pattern that we hoped wouldn't. It's very interesting, a sunflower 
is a spiral. And in 1927, a woman named Georgiana Moore was born, and the sunflower was based on her poem, The Sunflower. And it was a gift she left the planet and the children of the world for peace. Hmm. And that's on our website. And you know what? We are only patterns. There's only 13 people in the world. We just are all patterns. We're just that same pattern on the head of a sunflower seed. Yeah. And the only way you can change that is to, to really stare at those patterns. Ryan, thank you so much for being here. I, we talked at the beginning of a podcast takeover. I mean, we all have community members that, you know, go interview somebody. Everybody can go find some stories. And maybe that's why we were to have coffee today, Ryan, is through the power of podcast, film, art, sunflowers. At least we're doing something. We're doing something. Thanks for having me. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. Bye, Ryan. Bye. It's the art and the history connecting all communities. The water flows through indigenous blue. The tides rise and fall, connecting us all. Water is life, hear our call. The water flows through indigenous blue.